Hey, this is JP. I've commandeered the Japers Rink Radio Airwaves to bring you a wide-ranging conversation that I had with Peter Hassett of Russian Machine Never Breaks. Uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation that we had. We're having the first half on Japers Rink Radio, and the second half is going to be on the RMNB podcast, so do check that out, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. What was um, what was championship night? What was Thursday night like for you? Uh, I watched at home. Uh, I thought about briefly thought about going downtown but i figured it was either going to be um incredibly meaningful or incredibly heartbreaking and uh both of those things i figured i'd rather uh be a little more private about um so i watched it at home my son fell asleep uh after two periods on the couch and my wife and i watched the end of it and uh it was it was incredibly it, – it was actually more emotional than I thought it was going to be uh, for me. Did you wake your kid up? I tried. He was out. <laughs> he was he was dead to the world. Sometimes he gets uh, just out. So he was out. Finally got him up afterwards and uh, told him. He was psyched. He's a big Lars Eller fan. So, oh, uh, really? Yeah. The Him having uh, – like I was, I'm just going back through like the big moments, the big events – um, and him having that messy ass, uh, game winner in game three of the Columbus series. Yeah. And then bookending it. Yeah. With like, what, what was the game? The fact that they did it from like the bottom six, I think is exactly what they needed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, given like how like disasters like Pittsburgh last year went. Um, but you have to really feel for like every player that like analytics folks would like beat up on. Had an amazing series, Devontae Smith, Pelly, Brooks, Orpik, and Jake Beagle, even in some respect. Yeah. And then Lars Eller, I mean, he's nerds love him, but you know, he can't. Yeah. Care. And I mean, for Eller, here's a guy who just stepped up when Baxter went out, stepped up when Kuzi missed most of that game. You know, he had that very rough stretch in Tam- against Tampa where he had what five penalties in two yeah. games or something like that. Uh, maybe he was a little taxed after, uh, stepping up for Backstrom, uh, for all that time. But yeah, bookending game winners in, in, is just perfect. Everything was, there was so much just poetry in the run. I was like, uh, you know, in, in game, uh, five, like he and the Burakovsky and the Connolly combination, they had just like a, a, a sick proportion of shots. Like they were just driving play offensive zone. I think it was like 90%, uh, of like the, the Corsi score. Um, and it just seemed like it was inevitable. And I, I, I feel like if there's anything that you and I may like disagree on on the margins, it might be like Brett Connolly who was on that line with him. Have you been cool on Brett Connolly in the past? In the past, uh, there there have been moments where I wasn't so sure about uh, the value he was really adding. Uh, there, he seemed like a little bit of a passenger who found himself in himself in opportune situations sometimes and capitalized on it, but then it kind of disappeared when the going got tough. Yeah. Uh, but he he definitely had some big goals uh this spring. I mean, going into the finals, we did our uh round table and everybody chipped in on their X factor and I th- I thought the X factor was going to be potentially that third line uh because uh, last season, uh Burkowski, Eller and Connolly were just awesome. Yeah. I mean, they they could do no wrong and it sort of didn't click this year uh for whatever reason and but they got back together towards the end of the Tampa series, I think. And, uh, they were very good uh, on some nights. They were the the best line. And that was really, 
I mean, that was really impressive to see. There would be one night where it would be the first line, one night it would be the second line, one night it would be the third line, and then you even got scoring from the fourth line. So it, it really was everything coming together for the first time, you know, of the Ovechkin era. There have been years in the past where, you know, maybe they got the scoring and didn't get the goaltending, and there were years they got the goaltending but didn't get the scoring. Uh, times that they played well but got out coached, uh, and just everything uh, so clicked. There. So you, um, I think it was you who shared something that was like, uh, when the Caps have, you know, shooting above X, they've got saving below Y, and then the reverse, like it was either all offense or all defense and, you know, yeah. nothing in between. Um, it, it does seem like, and I don't know if this like cheapens, it doesn't cheapen the cup for me one bit, but like to understand, to like appreciate in the end that like to win the cup takes like a combination of a damn good team or a team with like Tim Thomas saving 95 or whatever he was saving that year and obscene luck. And like if, if you take the championship means the best team, but it, I mean, that's still somewhat like, like the idea of playoffs are arbitrary and the idea of a championship is arbitrary and no one's ever going to go by like win differential or a like goal differential in the regular season to choose who the best team is. But like the Capitals had a bunch of, pre, you know, presidents trophies, which are determinative in one way. And then now they've got this, but to do this, they had to have what, like 95% on ice saving when Brooks Orpik was like, on like that is I don't know, unspeakable. And then like a uh, Devontae Smith Pelly having, a Drews level post, you know, postseason campaign, especially like that tying goal, and and when he did score, it was indisputably skill based. It's right. just that those were such few moments, and he just finished all of them. Like, but but he was like the the thing that just knocked him out is that he somehow by scoring like seven goals, nine uh, he was on the ice for nine goals total of like the Caps. He scored seven of them, and he was still underwater, yeah. which I guess speaks to how deeply troubled like the depth was. In everything except for finishing, yeah. which I guess that's how you had to do it. I mean, that's that's that they couldn't do that in the past. They just that just didn't happen. No, I mean we goof on people who talk about timely saves and timely scoring, but geez, man, I mean that's what they got. That's exactly what they got, and they got it from everywhere. I I think in uh, in the clinching game they scored four goals, and it was what Vrana, Ovechkin, Smith, Pelly. Uh, Eller, yeah. all four lines, all, all right? up and down. Uh, I mean, Ovi's, I guess, was on the power play, but still, it just, it, it really shows, uh, where they got it from absolutely everywhere. I mean, even Alex Chason had a big goal and wasn't even dressed, uh, at the end, obviously. Uh, Nathan Walker had a big assist along the way, I think, on that, uh, Chason goal. That was on the Chason goal. Uh, so, I mean, they, they really, they got it from everywhere. You look at the game winners that they had of the 16 game winners. I think Eller had three, uh, a couple guys had two and then they, they kind of spread it out. I mean, Brooks Orpik scored a friggin' goal in the, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I think that it's there, there really were no passengers, uh, yeah. a, along the way. Everyone sort of contributed and, uh, I guess that's what you need, uh, to have it happen because uh, it certainly hasn't been that way in the past, but God bless him for doing it this time. So, uh, so to talk about like the best caps team ever, like I think some people sleep on like what, like the Oh eight Oh nine teams. Those were amazing teams and, and some of my favorite teams to watch. And then last year's team, like again, this is like the on paper concept was amazing. And then you probably had a team in like 91. That was amazing. Or maybe it was 92. Uh, what was the year before Scott Stevens left was like, that mm -hmm. was a damn good team. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that did fine. Um, 
do you now have to consider 2018 to be the best Capitals? I mean, they won the championship, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, how can you not? These are all like philosophical questions. <laughs> right. What it means to be the champion. I, and it's right. all new to me, so I have no, no idea. Right. I mean, I guess if you had a tournament and you played this team against every other incarnation, you know, I don't, they wouldn't win every time. Uh, there would be times when the 2009, 2010 team wouldn't get, uh, halocked. Uh, you know, Braden Holpe might not shut that team down the way that they did. And who knows what happens that year? You know, who knows what happens, uh, a couple other years, even in the Ovechkin era and, uh, before, but, uh, if, if, if Eller didn't get that one bounce this year, if Flurry didn't score an own goal, you know, if, if, uh, the, that parallax goal counted, there's a million different ways that this could have gone a different way. Yeah. And th- none of that should take away from it. it well, just... I mean, if Alex Tuck lifts the puck six inches. Right. I mean, it's two nothing and you're coming back home. But then again, if they call the cross check on Ryan Reeves in game one, this thing might have been over in four. four yeah. I mean, the, the margins are so them. narrow. Yeah. Do you, um, do you think that the save was, an excellent job by Holpe or a freak accident? Uh, Compare pro- it to the, like the Varlamov save in 09. I think they're similar. I think that they were uh, great plays of athleticism where uh, the goalie put himself in a position to make the save. I think maybe with Holpe's it hit his stick a little more and Varlamov maybe reacted a little more to the puck, uh, specifically where it was going. Um, but you know, in terms of the stakes and I mean, on Holpe's man, he, he stops it dead and there's no rebound or anything. He covers yeah. that right up. And, uh, it, it was obviously he, there's some good fortune in a save like that. Uh, but you got to put yourself in the position to make it. And you know, that's, that's exactly what he did. And he will be wasn't out of position before, I suppose, which I guess should be something in his favor. That was not necessarily true for Varlamov and that like. He really right. seemed like he was a little over his head, which of course he was. He was a rookie. He was. Well, I mean, I hope he may have overcommitted a little bit, but wasn't it, it a bounce off the floor? Yeah, it's this crazy bounce. That's, you know, the puck's coming in to his right, kicks out directly through the crease. He had to jump to avoid accidentally kicking it in off the back of his skate. Yeah. Then it comes across to the left, back to the right. You know, as you're facing out, and then Tuck. I mean, he got all of it and just. You know, did what he had to do, and I don't know how many times out of a hundred hope he makes that save, but he did this time. Let me uh, let me jump back. How did you how did you get into hockey or the Caps? Uh, back in like eighty four, eighty five, uh, started watching them. Uh, I guess I was about nine uh, then. My dad and some of his partners got season tickets, uh, so they were in a season ticket group, and we've had season tickets uh ever since and uh so I, I started watching then investing then uh giving my heart and soul to it Easter epic you were you did you, stay, you I, in, I, I remember i was over at a buddy's house and we were listening to it on the radio way past uh what time we were supposed to be in bed so yeah i mean that that's on the list i mean lots of them are on the list but uh you know it it's trite to say that it's all worth it but it, it, it is. I mean, it was winning this uh, cup was more emotional than I thought it was going to be for me. I mean, I was talking to another uh, buddy about this yesterday about like the feelings uh, you're feeling when you when you win this thing, and uh, the way I said it was like beating Columbus in that series was probably like eighty five percent just pure relief. 
and then like a little bit of joy and like, okay, you know, this is, yeah. So, uh, that, that was good and everything. And then Pittsburgh, I think even Pittsburgh was like 75% relief. It's like, finally they got past these guys, you know, finally they got past the second round. Then it starts shifting a little bit and Tampa, maybe because they weren't, the caps weren't expected to do anything. Tampa came out. uh, It was, to me, it was a little more 50-50, you know, some relief there, you know, Ovi's finally going to play for the cup. People can kind of treat him the way they treat Joe Thornton now, you know, he doesn't have that marring his record anymore. Uh, but then, then actually winning it, it was, you know, 75, 80% joy. And, uh, you know, uh, there is still a relief aspect to it because most people, I think now, uh, if for some reason they were holding back on their, uh, praise for Ovechkin, uh, that's, that's gone. I mean, he's cemented a legacy for everybody not named Larry Brooks. Larry Brooks and, is the exception. <laughs> God, man. Uh, and, and so, I mean, it's just, I'm still, I'm still, uh, soaking it in. I'm, it's still this sort of disbelief. I catch myself every once in a while. Uh, thinking, oh my God, they did it. You know, they did the thing. And what's crazy is that it, if not for that, uh, we'd be sitting here preparing for game six right now. It'd be yeah. tonight as we record Sunday. Uh, it, it was scheduled to be tonight. And man, it seems like, uh, it's been three years since the, they won the cup, but, uh, it's at the same time, it feels like it hasn't fully sunk in yet. I don't know when it will. When, um, I guess, like, the median errors are, are a complicated thing, but I, I I personally want to send John Walton a letter to say thank you for that goal call where he said it's okay to believe. Because I feel like he yeah. gave me permission to just get over my own, like, mental hump. And, like, after that point, I was like, yeah, okay, I, I, I totally see it. I don't remember what goal that was. It was probably maybe, like, a Kuz... No, it wasn't a Kuznetsov because that was the demons of an exercise. But at some point the team just started putting it together. And I guess it was really as soon as they put Braden Holpe in net. Even before then, though, they, they were doing everything good except for saving. Yeah. Like, the PK stunk in those first two games of the of the, the Columbus series, but they looked good all along. And it just it just needed, I don't know, like, all the all the, the talk about, like, a confidence or mental toughness or being a playoff-built team, um, it just didn't click for me until I, I heard, yeah, it's okay to believe. Like, yeah. why am I getting in my own way here? Like, yeah, you've got this sort of like part of your brain that functions as like an analyst and or like a, a writer or something like that. But, you know, we're we're hybrid animals of some kind. Like we're also fans unabashed. And as much as we can be you know, like critical or analytical, we're also supporters of the team. And I just had to sort of like separate those two disciplines and say, I'm with this guy now. Yeah. And I was that until uh, right this moment. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I like uh, at some point it, it's the the switch uh kind of flipped to uh you know these guys don't quit they don't choke they're not the bounces are going their way things that used to happen to the caps started happening for the caps i mean it's it there were plenty of times during this run i can't can't pinpoint uh any of them off the top of my head um but where you saw things and you're like Damn, that is exactly what used to happen to the Caps, and it happened for the Caps this time. The, the Flurry own goal, um, right? I mean, that was in the finals, but this was happening way earlier. The Flurry own goal is a classic example of stuff that like Michael Neuvert would have done in 2011 mm-hmm. against Tampa. Yeah, I, and uh, just the optimism, the way that uh, the the fan base, you know, 
Trotz, I think in the in the past has said uh, everybody knows that the team feeds off the the crowd at times, and uh, they should be able to motivate, self motivate, and put that stuff out. But you know, it, it's palpable sometimes when when the crowd at uh, Verizon Center or Capital One or wherever it was. Um, would start getting tense when yeah. the Caps would uh, give up a goal. And uh, even in game four, when it got to 4-2, you know, people started getting maybe a little tense, but not like it would have been uh, back even last year or year before or anything. I mean, it's a fan base that has had Lucy pull the football on it so many times. Uh, but it didn't really feel like this, that this year, once they got – on that role against Columbus, even against Pittsburgh, it felt good. Like you felt yeah. good the whole way. And, uh, even, uh, you know, very, very early in the Tampa series, like we're talking five minutes into game one, I was over at a, uh, a friend's house and I, I said, uh, I watched the way the ca- caps came out in game one. And maybe this is the difference. Uh, watch the way they came out. And I said, caps are going to the finals. They're going to win this series. They, they came out, uh, they were proactive. They, they weren't reacting. They weren't waiting for the game to come to them. They were dictating the game. And that's, I think that's a change from the way they've played a lot in the past where they were a little tentative. So, uh, you know, I don't know where or what happened that changed this team because they were not the same team in the regular season that we saw in the playoffs. Not even, um, no, no way. Not the same team in past playoffs that they were in this year's playoffs. And uh, I don't know that anybody could really put their finger on the how or the what of it, but just it happened and it was contagious and it snowballed, you know, when, you know, this, they, they had good, you know, fundamental or process stats or whatever in, in the Columbus series, but those, uh, you know, those, what, six games, was it six or yeah, six games, um, four went over time and one went to double overtime or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, like, the games were tight, uh, and, you know, the Caps, I think, won in four straight. It was a reverse sweep um, after going down too low. Um, but, like, it's, it felt like at that point, it felt like this is all attitudinal, uh, that, like, success caught up to process uh, after process, after success leading process for, you know, almost the entire season. And, and after that, it just felt fun and free. Like, uh, I, I felt the same way that, like, I stopped dreading playoff hockey and i was like all right let's do this i i at some point i did something that i stopped doing a couple years ago which is i invited friends over to watch the game with me because i said let's have a fun time and watch the washington capitals yeah. playoffs that's i mean that would be a vulgar statement <laughs> five years ago i this is like something that I, I would do ashamed in the dark right yelling at things and it's it's different um w- so about that regular season team um you know in in november it seemed really likely that the, the team would fire their coach. Uh, and I guess like PDO said no. Uh, and they went on an insane tear through December. And I thought that like, all right, Trotz's job is, is safe. Uh, and then they got trouble again in, in like late January, early February. Uh, and then they closed out the season amazingly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Trotz at, at that time and as of the time of us recording here had uncertain contracts as for next year. Um, he was not hired by Brian McClellan and at least against, um, I think it was Pittsburgh last year. Uh, but I think there's other examples as well of him making like, uh, I don't know, tactical lineup decisions that seemed self defeating. Um, and you know, the, the, the seven D and scratching Connolly seemed like that was a, a chief one, but we also had, 
uh, like Weber over Schmidt the year before that, which right. was a, a weird one. Um, in these playoffs, I don't think we saw any of those. Um, and I would say that whether by deliberation or, or accident, uh, Trotz made some really great, really interesting decisions, both on matchups or getting his players away from matchups. And to that point, I wonder if the flip side of the coin is more interesting. What, what Cooper did, uh, to get the top line to stop matching up. Um, I can't remember the different lines now on, on Tampa, but they, they, they changed their lineup against Ovechkin Kuznetsov line. And then the same thing happened against Gallant where they stopped using Marchezo and Carlson against uh, Ovechkin after game one, I think, or maybe, maybe halfway through game two. It seemed like these, and by the way, Gallant and Cooper are in my top five active coaches. They, I think they're they're geniuses. But it seemed like something about the Capitals made other teams commit seppuku or something. Like they just did. They made goof ups. And, yeah, I mean, huge credit to Trotz. I, I, you know, I, I definitely advocated for a change behind the bench at multiple times uh, since the end of last season. Um, I just wasn't sure that it was working. I thought I'd seen enough. Uh, but this playoff run for Trotz, like everyone else, was different. I mean, he made some bold choices. I thought and still think that starting Grubauer, uh, game one against Columbus was the right call. Uh, I think that reasonable minds could disagree on game two, but I thought he earned a, a game two start as well. And, uh, you know, he made, he pulled the trigger when he needed to. He stuck with Jake Verana when he wasn't scoring, uh, on the second line. And that paid off huge. Obviously scored the opening goal in the clinching game. Uh, his, his lineup, uh, decisions were good. His line matching was good in that he often wasn't really matching lines. Like there's a, there's an old, uh, Boudreaux quote from his book. That's always sort of stuck with me. And that is, uh, about line matching. He, he said uh, that he doesn't really believe in it. He just kind of rolls his lines. He says, why would I want to let the other team dictate when I can play my best players? And I think you saw John Cooper overthink it. And yeah. I think maybe you saw Gallant, uh, overthink it as well. But I mean, Trotz, here's a dude who just, uh, outcoached uh, a former Jack Adams winner in Tortorella, the two-time reigning cup winner in Sullivan, uh, everybody's favorite young coach in Cooper, and then the guy who's going to easily win coach of the year in Gallant. And, and Trotz and his staff, you know, to be sure, Trotz, it, we're just using Trotz as a, a collective, you know, pronoun for the entire, uh, staff, cause it's, it's a, certainly a team effort there too. Uh, but Trotz, Outcoached every one of them, uh, and pretty comfortably. And I definitely did not see that coming, but, uh, sure glad it did. When, so I, I, I was certainly on the team, um, I don't remember when it was when you guys published the, the Fire Trots article, but I agree with it and I, I, like, edited, I guess a little bit while later. Um, in November, I was less sure. I felt like Trots was gonna, um, take, you know, the, the blow for maybe what were roster construction problems. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Brian McClellan made some off season decisions. And, you know, I, of course I look like a total clown now for, for unleashing on him last year, but you know, he just won a Stanley cup. So take from that what you will. Um, that's, that's what, that's doesn't you make, on the line. It doesn't make the decisions right though. And, yeah. And, and I wouldn't say like, Oh, they would have won it counterfactuals or, or science fictions. Who cares? Um, so what if Nate Schmidt played for the other team? Right. They may have lost. Who knows? Um, 
that said, I I still don't. Do you now advocate saying, and, and how much of this is sentimental? You have to extend an offer to Trots. The capital should extend an offer to Trots, and whether Trots should accept it or not, who knows? You know, it seems like every coach is X number of years away from getting fired. Um, do you think that we should see Barry Trots in, in October? I think so. I didn't think so before. Um, I think that the team certainly uh, owes it to him. Uh, and I think that, you know, if you're Barry Trotz, you can say thanks, no thanks, and go coach the Islanders and be crap and maybe have some middling success. Or no, they're going to get away with murder maybe, on yeah. the contract. Lamarillo can do anything. <laughs> maybe. And, and maybe, I mean, maybe you're you're looking for a challenge or you can stay here and uh just be a, an absolute legend forever yeah. like uh i don't know i think i guess it was game 3 they had uh they trotted out joe gibbs to st- to start things off with the let's go caps and everything and that dude is just universally loved in this town and i mean that's that's where Barry Trotz would be stick yeah. it out you know take a couple years here Whatever. I mean, chances of them repeating something like this are, are very small. But, uh, you know, to me, you stay here uh, if you're Barry Trotz. You find the number that you want uh, and some term that makes sense, and you kind of go from there uh, in all likelihood. Uh, it, there is sentimentality here, and it's very easy probably to say, oh, let's lock up Devontae Smith-Pelly and let's lock up Jay Beagle and uh, give John Carlson whatever he wants. Uh First of all, I'm largely okay with it because I think for at least a year, every single sentence I, I utter about this team, whether, you know, whether I say that out loud or not is going to end with, but who cares? Cause they won the cup, you know? So, uh, uh, it, it's, we're still very much in the, the sentimental, uh, afterglow, uh, of the cup. But, uh, to me, I think that there should be something that works to keep trots here and keep everybody happy. And I mean, the other thing that we need we need to recognize is we have incomplete information on uh on Todd Reardon's uh contract situation on what players in the room might have said or uh might have to say about Barry Trotz so you know grain of salt on all that and you know Trotz himself if you are a lip reader and believe what he was saying to Tortorella at the end of that series saying he was gone or whatever uh Obviously, winning changes a lot. That's before he shot the moon, though. Yeah, exactly. What, what do you think? You bring him back? Uh, I think, first of all, you're, you, the, the part about the Joe Gibbs legacy, uh, Barry Trotz could be, I don't know, shooting Eastern Motors commercials for the next two decades, and we'll see him. I, I, I wonder if they'll color outside the lines here and find a role for him outside of coaching but in the organization. Um I also could see he's got so much leverage and cachet. Now he's the you know, defending Stanley Cup champion coach that he could, he, he probably wants to coach next year. He wants to coach in October. So I think that Seattle's probably not that likely for him, assuming that Seattle is a team, uh, you know, a year and three months from now. Um, so like the gallant situation there, um, it seems I, I have a suspicion that they'll do it and they'll just sort of burn whatever the bridge is with Todd Reardon. And then, you know, Todd ends up becoming the loser here, but everything we know, yeah, he'll be, oh, he'll, he'll get a job no matter, even if it's assistant or what. I also think that if he's a free agent coach, um, folks might make a move of their own volition, even if there's no open vacancies outside of yeah. Brooklyn, they might do it. The, um, 
I don't know, to what you said about having incomplete information, you know, all we have is like, a, you know, a, a tidbit factoid from Elliot here and then tons and tons of, uh, I- I- implications or, or, um, you know, stories that are, are not super reliable and, um, the, you know, the guy behind the guy that never actually, you know, I don't think he ever does press is Dick Patrick. Yep. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure Ted and Dick together hired Barry. Was that, is that right? And he predated right. Brian McClone. Um, I mean, I, 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 we probably hear like the, the same things and I don't know how close the team was to canning him, uh, to canning Barry Trotz in, uh, November, but f- from what I hear and it's th- like things were pretty sour and then, um, Winning changes everything. You know, like, I, we hear this all the time, like, this team has a winning culture, this team has a losing culture, and it turns out that the culture follows the winning or right. the losing. Right. Um, Nobody had a problem with those Flyers teams when they went to the finals, but then when they stunk, suddenly it's a dry island and everybody needs to get out of here, right? And then they did, and right. then they won some more. Yeah. The, um, the, the part about sort of, like, the halo effect around the team, like, even if they, um, <clears throat> you know, sign Jay Beagle for three by three, which would be madness as far as I'm concerned. Although I would love to discuss the context with you. Um, the, I, I'm with you that I'm in the afterglow right now and I, you know, will have to remind myself that this is actually happening and like the identity that I've built for myself as like a Capitals fan and the Capitals suck for a couple decades now just has to, I have to augment that a little bit. That said, I, I also think about like the Chicago Blackhawks and I'm sure they felt the same way. And then they they painted themselves into a hellish corner on their contract situation, and I don't think they're coming back to the playoffs anytime soon now. Um, they also Houdini'd out of it a couple times, uh, offloading. You know, the year they offloaded like Bufflin, they offloaded guys like Ladd. You know, a whole list of really good players, and they hardly missed a beat. Um, so I think it can be done. Uh, I think with the core that they have here, it's still. You know, you look at this team and who's coming back, and if they can figure out Carlson, um, this should be a good team next year. And the, the, the cap's going up. Something that I thought found really encouraging is, and don't want to say Smith Pelly is probably the best example of this. I, it seemed wrong when Smith Pelly was the first line winger, which he was for right. a few weeks in the fall. Um, but when he did have shifts in the offensive zone, it seemed like he had the skills, the, the playmaking skills to do things. And I think that was evidenced in his goals in the game's four and five of the Vegas series where, you know, he both times kicked it to his stick and put it in an amazing goals. Um, he seemed like he thrived well when he was promoted. Same thing with, I think Chandler Stevenson, who I don't think, I know he got a lot of good buzz and he had that great, uh, like four checking to, to make whatever goal that was happen. Um, but he seems like he may struggle a little bit when he was in the fourth line defensive role and then had some upside offensively when he got out. Uh, and then Lars Eller obviously manifestly had that issue. Um, that said, the top nine forwards are locked up for next season. Uh, assuming that Tom Wilson, he's an RFA, he'll get, he'll get a, a, who knows what his salary will be, but his, his term will be an interesting thing to find out. Um, I, I don't like, it's sort of like a blockade situation. I don't know how they'll, find those and they've got a lot of really interesting players down low and I'm, I'm very curious what the it's way too premature to talk about this no, but yeah i want to what that like opening night lineup will be yeah the the bottom of that roster when you've got guys like uh nathan walker uh stevenson you still you gotta figure out what you're gonna do with your beagles and your smith pellies uh gersich probably makes a push at some point uh to be here yeah. so there are definitely guys and uh you know, it, it, the, for the most part, this should be the team 
coming back, um, at least the core guys, you're not losing anything off the defense if you lock up Carlson, which I've, I it's personally it's think it's going to happen. Uh, I, I think I, I would be surprised if they can't figure out. So they may go long on term. Uh, that's fine. You know, deal with tomorrow's problems tomorrow. That was sort of. There was a lot of hand wringing last summer about the uh, TJ Oshie deal, obviously, um, and I think I don't think anyone's arguing that you know five years into this TJ Oshie is still going to be worth that kind of money, right? Yeah. But um, I I personally thought let's deal with that in five years. Uh, right now, the guy's an integral part of this team and what they do. He wasn't going to have another. 30 goal season or whatever, uh, he ended up with. I forget which one of you and Pat won the well, well, <laughs> Two years ago, Pat right, won. Two, two years ago. Yeah, but, um, so, you know, you see too many teams, uh, sign these deals and you're like, oh man, they're going to be screwed. And then they find a way out of them. And, uh, I think that in part has been part of the problem in, with this organization in the past, especially under McPhee, who's a little too conservative and not willing to push the chips into the pot and uh, sort of go all in or close to all in and deal with repercussions down the road. Because uh, you see, you watched teams like Chicago or like Philly or like LA, uh, some of these teams sort of uh, wiggle their way out of it, uh, out of what you thought was sure trouble, but it ends up, you know, you just got to get creative, I guess. And we'll, with the, the 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 league's doing really well business-wise, hockey-related revenue's going up, so the, the, the cap's going up, and depending on what the, the, like the labor union wants to do, we should see a lot more money uh, available under the, the salary cap. That plus probably an impending CBA negotiation, which sort of always comes with, Amnesty buyouts means that you get like a get out of jail free card. Those are both you know plausible ways to to deal with it. That said, are you are you like advocating like Smith Pelly resign him, Jay Beagle resign him? I mean, I think everything's on a case by case, and uh, I don't. You can't let sentimentality be a, a real driver here. Um, and when teams do get in trouble, it does tend to be when. They are uh, really paying for past performance and not future performance. Um, so I think you need to be realistic about it. If if you go a few dollars over uh, what you would have paid or go an extra year, I mean, it's not going to be the end of the world probably. But, um, you know, I'm sure there's a number that works for the, the team and hopefully there's one that uh, works for the player too because uh, – you know, it, it's a it's a good team to to keep together, and guys like Beagle, especially. You know, you saw his value to the penalty kill. His value, you know, you can probably find other penalty killers, but uh, sometimes it's worth paying a few extra bucks for the double you know, and not just hoping uh, that somebody else uh, works out in the same spot to save you, you know, five hundred thousand bucks or something. All right, so well, let me ask you, it, I guess, on like a, a specific question then what what did you make of jay beagle's 2017-2018 season um his defensive he was used extremely defensively more than he ever had in his past um and I, something that trots had done a little bit in previous seasons but he did a lot of this season i think maybe as kuznetsov took more face-offs and had a bigger role i guess the, you know no one likes kuznetsov's face-off skills and whatever the value of faceoffs are, they liked Beagle out, especially for like a defensive zone draw with the top six. And then 
you know, win the face off and get off happened a lot. Um, which, what did you make of him having what were like inarguably his worst, you know, like possession numbers, uh, with, with some really important context to it, but his workload was really, really tough. Do you take that as a coloring of his performance? I mean, I, for me, I don't know if I had like an eye test thing where it's like a speed was noticeably off, but he, uh, or do you, do you think of it as, as a situation in which his context, his deployment, his usage was harmful? I think, uh, I think context helps. And you mentioned it, those, uh, Fogos, uh, you know, face off, get off, uh, those will crush your, your, uh, possession stats, right? Because, yeah, you're, you're taking a draw in your defensive zone. If you lose the draw, you're probably giving up a couple shot attempts before you get out of the zone. Uh, if you win the draw, you're just getting off the ice before your team's taken any, uh, shot attempts. So those are gonna, if you're being used in, uh, often in that kind of role, those are going to kill your, uh, your possession numbers. Um, that said, you know, he's never been a good possession player. He's not, he's, it's not his skill set. It's, uh, not who he's put out there with. He's not put out there with guys, uh, who also drive play. Aside from uh, 10 winning. Right. Right. I mean, that, that was a good fourth line when it was Winnick and Wilson on Beagle's wings because Winnick and Wilson are good players. Uh, it, so Jay Beagle, I mean, he's he's not uh, going to win a Selkie anytime soon. Uh, I don't think he's that level of defensive player. And uh, you know, I personally am of the mind that the best defense is not letting the other team have the puck at all. But the best defensive team of the last decade of the Capitals was that super offensive, what people called fire wagon hockey right. in the 2008 season because they always had the damn puck. Right, exactly. I mean, their possession numbers were uh, absurd. And, you know, if they had added a blue liner or maybe gotten a little more goaltending that year, who knows? But, uh, yeah, that. so, I mean, I guess the question on Beagle, he, he's getting up there in age. He's had an incredible career. Um I could go two years on him, maybe a year or two, uh, at the right number. Um, but that, that might also be a little bit of sentimentality driving the bus. I, I, I'm, I think he should be gone. I, I feel cruel for saying that. Um, especially having seen like him shamble off the plane. Like he, he took a beating on these playoffs and I respect the hell out of that. There was, I don't know if you saw it. I think it was like Elliot, Elliot Freeman had an article about like blocking a shot and Beagle. Um, if he blocked a shot, he would never take his skates off during intermission right. because he wouldn't be able to get him on again, which is such a horrible thing to think about. Like he, he paid the price for all those defensive zone starts. Um, I, I think of a guy or Brian McClellan, I would do something that we saw like maybe more in like LA and other clubs where, um, the manager would find a bad habit that the coach had and then deprive them of the resources right. to do those. And I don't think McClellan feels that way. And I don't think that Barry Trotz think, thinks that that was a problem. Uh, I also don't know. If maybe Jay Beagle was just absorbing all the problems for everybody else, um, it's it's complicated. I think like, uh, and the math for it is beyond my spreadsheet and SQL skills. So like, we have to ask me or, or Tyler Dello to do like. I would love to know what like Jay Beagle's on the fly shifts were. Right. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I they're not good. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not going to be good. Yeah, but I mean, if he's, I, I, I don't even remember where he ended, but it was somewhere between thirty eight and forty two percent, like uh, of like shot attempts, and that's. Brutal. And then I guess that, that brings me to the other use case here, which is the, I guess the senior player on the Capitals, defenseman Brooke Orpik, who is 36 or 37 now, uh, entering his last year, 5.5 million a year. 
um, and had, you know, last year had the best season probably of his entire career. This season, he got paired with Madison Bowie, who was never um, looking looking for ready for the NHL. Uh, and then, I guess, eventually, just through routine, actually end up building up some some chemistry with Juice, uh, especially in just like having Juice be the the, the exit guy. Um, but I, with one year left, there's like you know the the idea that maybe there'd be an entertainment of a buyout. I think that it's probably off the table given his on ice save percentage yeah. of shooting of the playoffs and the sort of the, the halo effect of winning the cup. Yeah, I don't know that it, that a buyout really was ever uh on the table. Um cuz when you buy out a guy, you you're I mean, first of all, you're you're having a cost impact on the the salary cap beyond when the guy's gone, you two, know. 2 years or something. Right. So in, in this case, right, exactly. Uh, and then you're going to have to replace him with something. Uh, so add cost there. And are you, you know, what are you really saving and what are you really upgrading in those situations? It's got to be mean, a replacement level player. Right. Right. I mean, is, is Jarabek ready to step into all those roles? I don't think so. You know, do you have other guys? You can probably find somebody on the scrap heap in free agency, but you know, again, that's, that's sort of the devil, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, you know, if it ever was entertained the way that this season went and, you know, the obvious love that these guys have for him. And I'm not a big intangibles guy, uh, but it's hard not to see it there. Yeah. You know, the way that he's taught these uh, some of these younger guys how to be pros, how to take care of their body, uh, not necessarily the past three days. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm going to take a sip of my beer. Yeah, you exactly. Uh but it, it's clear, it, you know, and for most of this year, he was put in a role in which he couldn't succeed. Uh, you could, he couldn't be expected to succeed like Smith Pelly on the first line. You know, you gotta, you gotta give guys a chance. And, uh, last year he was terrific in a sheltered role with a very good defenseman, uh, with Nate Schmidt playing with him. Um, and that obviously helped. Uh, when he got slotted down after the Kempney trade, uh, into that third role, you know, Christian Juice isn't Nate Schmidt. Uh, maybe someday he could be, uh, uh, up there, uh, in terms of his play. Uh, I like what I've seen from him. And if he can, uh, not get outmuscled by David Perron, uh, in mm-hmm. front of the net, I mean, that, that was kind of a Christian Juice in a nutshell. Moment that's gonna well, but was stick. It, but wasn't Orpic right next to him? Like while that happened, like wasn't he messing? Well, no, wait, that doesn't make sense because he wasn't he with like Marcheso or Carlson. Yeah, I mean he was probably. It was that play like right afterwards the, where he watched the goal go in and then. Oh, the, that the was face. on the like uh, that pass to Tuck or, or the Tuck pass to uh, Riley Smith, I think. And oh, you're thinking of the interference. I don't know what I'm thinking the, about. Maybe, but it's anyway, a tall blur. But, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, but point being on Orpic, uh, you know. Obviously a very valuable leader and, uh, you know, I think a wise man once said that this would be a successful contract if they win the oh, cup. Damn it. <laughs> so, so by your own parameters, this was a successful contract and he, I think, has the right to play it out at this point. Yeah, it would seem like it would be almost cruel at this point to, to make a change about it. And, it, and, and cruel in a way that is, is not 
defensible. Well, it's not the way this organization does things. Like, and I like uh, that about them. I love oh, that. About, absolutely. Like, as much as what you said about George McPhee being overly conservative, and I entirely agree, just made marginal moves always on the defense, and then he's like, you know, we're going to add a face puncher. He also did a lot of work to like land his players who wanted out into good deals and, and mm-hmm. hold off on deals if they thought they would be harmful, you know, deleterious to the player. He was a good dude. And I think that that attitude stays, and I don't think that's a very common thing in this league, especially in. I mean, there is you can you can look at it as the team not always uh, flexing all the advantages that were available to it. But, you know, the Caps never had any of those backdiving contracts, uh, yeah. you know, where Marion Hosa makes, you know, a million bucks in his last year after making eight million every other year and then suddenly he retires. Wow. Who saw that coming? The election you know? deal, when it happened, what was it, like 2009, 2010? It was 2010, right? Um, where he, he signed like the, the giant deal. Mm. And people, people kind of crit, I mean, it wasn't backloaded as much as the other ones were. Actually, I think it was, well, it, it was, Almost the opposite. It was a it was a remarkably stable one. Am I wrong? Right. Well, no, that's exactly right. It wasn't like the Kovalchuk deal. They, those deals that had the the tails that the, you know they were so front loaded on salary, and obviously the uh, AAV against the cap is the average of all the years, so that guys could play the first few years and then just retire. Yeah. They they were structured so guys could retire, and uh, they were structured for the team. So that the cap hit would be lower by just adding these BS years at the uh, back end of it. You never and the caps, the caps didn't do that. The cap, you know, there were a lot of other things that you could point to, uh, I think, where this organization has really um, acted with integrity uh, towards its players. Uh, very, very few buyouts uh, in this team's history since the, the cap came into place. I'm, I'm trying to – Brooks was Brooks like bought out or just unconditional wavered? Uh, he was traded to Toronto in the uh, Carrick. That's right. Deal. He was put on waivers and then not picked up, and then I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. I think did they buy out uh, Jeff Schultz? They might have bought out Schultz. Uh, I don't think they could because he didn't pass his physical. Hmm. Well, I think they have like one buyout, uh, maybe two. Or, you know, I'm sure people. On the oh no, no, I'm confused. That was Tom Pody. You're right. You're right. I think they did buy out Schultz. So yeah, I mean, it's just not it's the way to confuse Tom Putty with Jeff Jones, <laughs> once a Stanley Cup winner. Yeah, exactly. They uh, it, the the way this team's done business uh, has been pretty straightforward and pretty honest. I think um, it's through you know from McPhee to um, McClellan, and so I I, I don't think uh, that I'd see them. Uh, not that there's anything dishonest or a lack of integrity shown if you buy a guy out, but it just doesn't seem the way that this team uh, has done business and the culture that they want to create because, you know, it, those things do have uh, ripple effects when other when free agents are looking at a team and saying, uh, am I going to sign there? <clears throat> and they see a team that's bought out players or, you know, designated veterans and that kind of thing. It's not necessarily the most attractive uh, landing spot, and I think that's something the team's been conscious of for a while now. Yeah, especially as you add clubs in Nevada and Florida where there's, you know, like tax structures. Like, hey, you're going to be in Virginia or in Maryland. Have fun with your, you know, we do take a big chunk of your your income there. Um, Let's uh, pause at this point. By the way, I'm Peter. This is JP. We're talking. (laughs) JP is John Press, who's the uh, managing editor, probably of J. Persrink, and I do Rush Machine. Would you like another beer? Uh, Sure. Okay. So that's it for part one of our conversation. Be 
Be sure to check out the second part over on the Russian Machine Never Breaks podcast, and we'll be catching up with you soon on Japer's Rink Radio.